0: Well, there you go. Hey,
1: it's Dan Miller here with our Tuesday Night Brainstorming session, where each Tuesday night we uh, talk with interesting people in the 48days.net community. Hey, I was talking with our guest a little bit ago. You may have heard our pre-conversation there about it snowing in Ohio, but I know that carries like me, he carries his sunshine inside of him. That's a, that's a line from uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Dr. Stephen Covey wrote that, and when I read that, I've used that line so many times. Sometimes Joanne wants to slap me for carrying my sunshine inside, but hey, no matter what the weather is, we hope you're having a beautiful day wherever you are. And I want to welcome in our guest for tonight, Carrie. Carrie, welcome in. Carrie Oberbrunner.
0: Hey Dan, it's great to be here.
1: Well, thanks. I want to. I'll give you a more proper introduction. But I wanted to let people know, most people already know you. They recognize your name. You are an active member of 48days.net community. And certainly people have seen your recent activity all over the place with your book, Day Job, the Dream Job. We want to talk about that. I really would like to kind of have three sections of our conversation tonight. And, And incidentally, if you have questions, and a lot of questions are already coming in because you all know Carry and what he's all about, so continue shooting those in. You can put the questions in if you're listening here online. Certainly you can just shoot them in there. If you're over in 48days.net in the group where Alan Jackson is hanging out tonight, you can talk to him and submit your questions there as well. I've got plenty of questions for Carry myself but I'll refrain from asking all of those and certainly switch to questions that you've got for him and I'll kind of set up what I want him to share about it's really three things that I'd like for him to share about and maybe where that will help frame some of your questions as well <clears throat> Number one, I want to hear a little bit about his personal journey. It's a very significant personal journey that I know is going to speak to a lot of you, and I want him to share about that a little bit. And number two, I want him to talk about his current focus and how he works so effectively with people at helping identify you know, who are you, why are you here, where are you going. I mean, he's a master at doing that. And the third area then, we do want to talk about the book, Day Job to Dream Job. We promoted this tonight. You know, how do you write a book and create a six figure income? That's kind of what the what we put out there in the, the teaser about tonight. So we certainly do want to address that. How do you do that as well? We'll have fun talking about that. So those are the three areas that I'd that I like to talk about. So in in having said that, set it up in that way, Carrie, I really want you to talk a little bit about your personal journey, how you got to where you are. I mean, you, you've had some interesting things, and a lot of people seeing you now as this suave, sophisticated, successful young man <laughs> would would not would not know the journey that you've been on. Um, and now you and Kelly have what three little girls, don't you?
0: Actually, one boy and two girls. Yep, exactly. One,
1: one boy and two girls. Okay.
0: Well. Yeah, yeah. I'll jump right in, man. Well, yeah, go
1: ahead. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are personally. Not only who you are, where you, why are you here, where you're going, but where did you come
0: from? Yeah. Well, you know, Dan, I think we share similar backgrounds in the sense that I grew up with a very faith-based family. I grew up as a uh pastor's kid, and my mom ran a Christian adoption agency, so I was I was taught hard work and I was taught that money isn't something you should strive for at all. Impact is what you should strive for and little did I know that today uh you can actually have both but but that's jumping ahead. So I I went to the the track of being a pastor and really was gonna move in toward the Air Force chaplaincy but health reasons kept me out, and I moved into a full-time pastorate and loved many aspects of that. Looking back now, I can see I was a hardcore entrepreneur, but back then, I didn't realize it. I had never taken a business class in my life, only Greek, Hebrew, and theology. And sure enough, as God began impressing upon me a desire to want to impact more people, I remember having a chat with my wife and saying, Kelly, I really feel that, you know, the pastorate might not be the best place anymore. It just feels like it's it, it's great. There's parts of it that I love, but it feels a little bit constrictive. And she looked at me and she said, well, what else are you going to do? This is what you went to school for. <laughs> and... You know, I love her because she's a truth teller. But Dan, I'll tell you what—I thought about that, and I was—I was scared. You know, I thought, "What else do I have?" And as a, a young man in his thirties at that point, that's a little bit scary because you think, "Okay, maybe I—you know—maybe I, I made some bad decisions or wrong decisions." And your book, actually, and your whole movement, kind of became a—a a hope. A, a line of hope really and i began to consider and and rec- recognize your values resonate with your values right away because i love how you have tremendous value for the marketplace but you also share biblical values and that really drew me to you but dan it, it's a crazy story where the quick version is that I got involved in some uh, coaching and speaking with, with John Maxwell on the, on the side. And I really believe that that gave me a dose of belief and confidence. And kind of the first few clients that I took on, I, I really felt, Dan, like I was making it up. <laughs> Maybe some of your other community feels that as well. But I think when we first get started and test our wings... We almost have this gut check where we feel a little bit like imposters, like we're going to be found out or something. But I got over that, Dan, by a little mantra I call, show up, filled up. Anytime we begin to evaluate how we're coming across, we step outside of the moment and we no longer serve our clients. And so anytime I felt like that, you know, how am I coming across, how am I sounding, I kind of stopped and and just recalibrated and showed up, filled up. And that phrase, that journey, um, got me a few clients. And eventually, Dan, real quickly, and then we'll we, I'll, we'll move into something else, but I remember my coach calling me and saying, "Hey, I see you on Facebook you're you're speaking here, you're doing this." He said, "Does the church know?" And I said, "Oh, absolutely." I said, "You know, I have a personal advisory board. They're keeping me accountable, and they're 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 watching over me." And he said, "Well, are they happy?" I said, "Absolutely." He said, "Is Kelly happy?" "Oh, yeah, she's great. Security's fine." And then he said, "Is God happy?" Wow! And when he, yeah, yeah, and there's no easy answer with that one, Dan, right?
1: No kidding. Yeah.
0: So what yeah. was your so he, answer?
1: Did Did you have well, the confidence to say yes?
0: I'll tell you what. I I started backpedaling, and this this coach that I have, he he's a tough cookie, and he he sniffed it out, and he said. um, he said, "Carrie, if if you feel compelled to serve uh, God and and your tribe in in a more full on way, what's stopping you?" And I said, "I said, Chet, I I can't make enough income." And he says, "So I I get it. So what you're basically doing is you're you're kind of staying in the church till you get enough." confidence and income and yet you're coaching others to make big leaps in their in their walks he said Ouch. sounds to me like you're a hypocrite oh <laughs>
1: gosh yeah
0: and you know once, once chad gets on you like that dan um then he said this phrase that actually ray edwards just posted recently our friend because i i was interviewed with ray and i and and he said this he said Carrie, you can't take the ring and stay in the Shire. And if people are not Lord of the Rings fans, they won't get it. But let me just explain it real quick. The Shire is a place of comfort, a place of familiarity, a place of safety. It's from Lord of the Rings, and Frodo felt very safe in the Shire. And, of course, he got called to a great adventure where he had to take this ring and essentially get rid of it because it was it was endangering the whole world in that story. And I think, Dan, that a lot of us feel this call to go take the ring, to, to be involved in this epic adventure, and yet we feel this deep tie to safety and security and familiarity. And Chet nailed me to the wall on that quote, and I knew that I had to make a decision. And this was back in 2012 spring. And I felt nauseous, Dan, for three days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I understand. You know, when we're stepping into new territory, you know, another mutual friend of ours, Mike Hyatt, you know, he says yeah. the, juice is, the juice is just outside your comfort zone. And I, I find myself thinking about that repeatedly. You know, if things are comfortable, We probably aren't doing anything very new or innovative or things that are going to lead us to new opportunities if we just stay comfortable. So we have to move beyond that. Now, Carrie, you've been very open about this. Some of the shades that you have in your background, you know, those, those feelings about not being, not having confidence go a lot deeper than just gee, I'm not sure I can do this. If I don't do this, you know, I'll go drive a UPS truck and be successful. I mean, those fears about lacking confidence went pretty deep with you to the point where you're actually, you know, personally cutting and carving lack of confidence words on your body. I mean, that's pretty severe, you know, to see where you are now. People may have a hard time connecting the dots back to that depth. You know, when I talk about my own background, sometimes people assume that I was, you know, born the son of a prominent attorney or something. My gosh, I remember when we had one cow, one milk cow, that was our livelihood, and we started from that. Share a little bit about the depth of your personal journey and how you walked out of that.
0: Yeah. Well, Dan, I really believe that we are all survivors and overcomers. At least we have that option. You know, we all have come from some pretty deep stuff, so my journey Dan I was just a, a young guy who struggled with stuttering as a young as a young kid and really metaphorically couldn't find my voice you know what i'm saying i mean yes literally i struggled but i think i think a lot of times as entrepreneurs young people whatever we struggle finding our voice and i remember struggling with that and some people close to me at a young age passed away, and rather than take that emotion to my parents or to God, I just bottled up all kinds of emotion inside and and also struggled with perfectionism. I think, I think a lot of creatives can struggle with that as well, and so really, Dan, I don't know why I chose this. I didn't choose alcohol or drug abuse. I just... I got a new addiction where I basically took that anger out on myself, and your listeners might have heard of self-injury, but it really, it plagues 4% of the population, and, and young people, actually, young gals, believe it or not, 15% of the population. So it, it is common, more common than you think, but... And now working with people, I see business people, and I truly believe we all self-injure. <laughs> you know, maybe not with a, a knife or a blade, but we, we all self-injure. So my journey out of that was um, basically getting found out here in seminary. It wasn't until seminary, believe it or not, where I confided in a professor because they were watching me through my MDiv in counseling, and they said, "Ah, you know, we're watching you, and you're you're in danger of failing." And I said, "What? Failing? My grades are perfect. What do you mean?" They said, "Anytime somebody shares about their pain, you you retreat. And what's the deal?" And I, you know, look, being in danger of failing, I, I confessed, and I said, well, you know, I've, I've never told anyone, but I struggle with self-injury. Rather than acceptance, Dan, I got a letter in the mailbox two weeks later that said, um, failed. <laughs> so wow. for con- yeah. So for confessing for the first time ever in my life, rather than acceptance or forgiveness or help. I got a failure. And so you can imagine, as a as a young guy, wanting to always succeed, getting that blow. But I'll tell you what, I was friends with the vice president. He was my mentor, and he said, look, Carrie, they can't fail you without my signature. And if you get counseling and help, we'll, we'll overcome this, and we'll get through this. And, Dan, this was my first year of marriage, my last year of seminary. And my first year as a pastor, so it was a big year. <laughs> wow! But, no, kid. yeah, but I'll tell you what, Dan, I got through it, and really, the 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 way out was to realize that God doesn't want perfection; He wants um, honesty. And the Psalms that kind of helped me through all this was those imprecatory Psalms where David writes pretty bold stuff about how he feels, and I thought, wow, if David can be an, a man after God's own heart and write these things, then there's hope for me, and that was that was how I turned the corner.
1: Wonderful. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, we have to realize that people who are effective coaches and counselors yeah, did not come to the table through perfection. Most no. of them came, came there, and they understand the realities of life because they've been through valleys themselves. I remember once years ago now when I went through a horrendous business failure, and I was chairman of the Small Business Development Committee through our mm-hmm. Chamber of Commerce. The morning after my business sold a public auction, and I woke up the next morning realizing I was about $450,000 in debt. Wow. I went to the Chamber of Commerce and I said, look, I need to resign. I need to resign my position as chairman of the Small Business Development Committee. Obviously, I don't know what the heck I'm doing and certainly <clears throat> am not a good example of others. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. As long as you were always successful, you had an unrealistic view of business. Now that you've been to this, you're exactly the person we want in that <laughs> position.
0: Understand the it.
1: realities. Uh, it was it was a, a major, major move forward for me to get that kind of affirmation. That they were going wow. to accept, accept me, even though I had screwed up, I wasn't perfect. But they thought then I really had a way to connect with people who were going through similar things. So, I love it. Yeah. So it, we come to the table. You now, after getting through that, you have moved away from being a pastor as your primary focus but you continue to minister to people through helping people understand, and I love what you have, you know, even on your site and in your promo materials, do you have clarity about who you are, why you are here, where you are going? Now tell us some of the ways that you engage with people today. I know you're very busy, but how you engage with people in helping them get that clarity.
0: Sure. So it's interesting, you know, God's given me some some success, and I've actually now have a full-time business partner and, and a, a team of people that do this full time, which is hilarious because I never would have thought I could even sustain my income alone. but it's a blast, and Dan, what I believe first of all is that we're all born with three questions. And whether people are people of faith or not, it really doesn't matter because I think that everyone's asking, who am I? In other words, what's my identity? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And where am I going? What's my context? And kind of like three circles that converge in the middle, when you answer those three questions, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? You become a soul on fire. And it was Carl Jung that said, the Swiss psychologist, he surveyed individuals and he said to his um, constituents, what's the most damaging thing in the life of a child? And Dan, when I was asked that question, I had no idea. You know, I thought it was abuse, alcoholism. He said that the most damaging thing in the life of a child is the unlived life of the parent.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, isn't that crazy? In other words, it and this fits right in line with your work. It's it's the parent who comes home and for 18 years of their life essentially acts out disengagement. You know, they might come home and kick the dog or worse yet, they might push away the kids and say leave me alone, give me the remote so I can just veg out. And, of course, veg means short for vegetable. In other words, brain dead. Leave me alone, kids, so that I can be brain dead just so I can cope with going back to the prison tomorrow. You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: That, that's and so,
1: really a poignant visual image.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know Gallup polls, and, and we, we know about this research, but this is the bulk of society. I mean, the bulk of society says I'm disengaged, or I'm actively disengaged. And as one of my mentors says, most people are dead; they just haven't made it official yet.
1: Oh my! Ouch. So, well, you you are in the business of helping people <laughs> connect with their soul and engage, definitely. have an impact. Now you have. Now we're going to have links in the notes for tonight that everybody will have access to shortly after we finish our call where they can find some of the really cool things that you're doing. In addition to your book, which we're going to talk about, but you you do some very innovative kind of group processes to help people walk through this journey. Describe how how that works.
0: So I kind of have a brain that says, let's write a book not to make money. Let's write a book to solve a problem. And each one of my bigger books, because I had to write a few that were pretty bad at first, because you you just have to work out your 10,000 hours, right? So (laughs) the the fourth book was the one that kind of started taking off, and that was called, called Your Secret Name. So Your Secret Name is a book that solves the problem of identity. It solves the problem of who are you. And most men, of course, identify who they are by what they do, their job. You know, you meet a guy for the first time and they typically talk about what they do. And it's interesting that that retired men are actually the highest suicide rate besides young males. In other words... If a man loses his job or retires, typically he goes into an identity crisis. And so what we do in this program, Your Secret Name, is we really take a deep dive at people's self-image at at all stages of life, young, old, men, women. And we realize that we can reset our self-image set point. Your self-image is like a thermostat. And if you're set at a 3 or a 4, even if you have success that equals a 5, a 6, or a 7 as a person, you naturally are uncomfortable with it. And so you reset your results to your self-image set point. This is why people who win the lottery most times, even though they get a huge windfall of money, in other words, success at like a 9 or 10, most self sabotage it's not the money that ruined people. I say this Dan, I say money doesn't ruin people. it reveals people. Mm-hmm. They were going to get they were going to mm-hmm. self sabotage anyways they're just on a bigger stage, and wow. so what we do is say we, we say before you get on the bigger stage, let's reset that self image set point, point. and that's that's the most faith based track that I have. And then we kind of move toward more of a business model um, track with the deeper path, which is focused all about your why, your purpose. Uh, We have a, a process called OPUS, and OPUS is the Latin word for masterpiece. And OPUS stands for overarching vision, purpose, unifying strategies, and scorecard for significance. So that's really a 10-week journey where we take a deep dive into having people author their opus. And, Dan, it's interesting. Um, Each one of these books that I'm talking about, it's a book, but it's an entire brand and business, which is what we're going to get into, I know, eventually about. How do you develop a six-figure business around a book? And that means that you get really intentional about helping people solve a problem. And then, okay. and then, kind of the last blockbuster book is is the uh, day job to dream job, which helps people essentially understand their context to get out of the prison of their day job. And I know we, you and I, and Joanne, spent time up at Shawshank Prison with that book release because that was a, a fun project.
1: That was very cool project. Yeah, for that, like as you're talking, you know your secret name. The trailer for that is just stunning so powerful. And I yeah. want people to go and and check out the amazing trailers, which is part of what we're moving into here, part of how you promote a book, how you get traction with what you're doing.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, day job to dream job. And and when we when you talk about that, it's not intended for everybody to quit their job and just go do something, you know, really cool, you know, sit on the bank of a river fishing every day. <laughs> but it's it may be another job, but how do you really engage with who you are, what God put you on earth to accomplish, and how you move into that deeper space that's simply being expressed through the daily work that you do? Now, you equate where a lot of people are, you, you're great at having the, the facts to back this up, how many people feel like they're living in their own personal prison, That may be partially because of a job, but it goes beyond that. But in Day Job to Dream Job, your latest book, you really do unravel that whole thing. Now, I love how you used Shawshank Redemption, the wonderful movie, how you used that as kind of a metaphor. And beyond just using it as a metaphor, you actually went to the prison, Mansfield State Reformatory, where that movie was filmed and spent time in the cell where Andy was as part of your writing inspiration. Tell us a little bit about that, and then I want to really just move into what you did with that book.
0: Yeah. Well, Dan, it's interesting because I first saw that movie when I was a pastor, and it's a very odd thing to say that as a pastor you watch that movie and and think that you're in a prison. And, again, it's not that the job was a prison, but there were parts of me that felt imprisoned. There was a creative part, an entrepreneurial part that felt imprisoned. And so here I am watching Shawshank Redemption, which is voted by the people as the number one movie of all times. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, wow, you know, Andy is in this prison and he wants to get out. But the people around him are just content. They're called institutionalized in the movie. And I thought, you know, that's what a lot of people feel like. They just feel like it's easier to just embrace the prison and act out disengagement. And what sets Andy apart is that he is free on the inside. And so it's only a matter of time when he gets free on the outside. Unlike the older guy, Brooks, in the movie, who actually does get free on the outside but he's imprisoned on the inside, and he, he ends up killing himself. And so, Dan, exactly what you said. You don't go from prison to pay off overnight. In fact, it took Andy 19 years. I don't think it needs to take your audience that long or me that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but, but he had a plan. And so in the book, I talk about the dream job or plan and how you can go from day job to dream job, and I I do research with great books and content like you, as well as a couple others, and and also share my own journey through the process.
1: But you, you know, a couple things from from the movie. What was that great line you know that Morgan Freeman said when Andy was talking about the hope of being outside?
0: Mm. He says, hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane, and it's got no use on the inside.
1: Mm -hmm. How often do people say something similar to that when they feel trapped in their job, trapped in the life they have? Hope is a dangerous thing. They try to erase the hope rather than following the glimmer of hope that they have, to create something better. Well, we could spend all all night in that particular in that particular story. You know, when I went through the the disaster that I described a little earlier, I mean, I, I really thought that in a couple years I'd just unravel the mess that I made and go on from there. It took 12 years, and I know that in that period of time, and there were times when Joanne really was discouraged. We we lived in little rental houses. We couldn't own anything, and Joanne loves to have a place that she decorates, and she loves to have people in for dinner, spend the night. You know, we we were restricted in doing all those things. That that was a long time. It was much longer than I anticipated, but uh, I can assure you I never lost hope. In that period of time when we were struggling, I would cut out pictures of the kind of house that we wanted. I'd cut them out of magazines and put them on the refrigerator just to keep us looking at Where we were going to be someday, and I kept promising that we were going to get to those kind of places. But it it took a long time, but I can assure you, as you well know, hope, hope is a very powerful thing. And if you feel trapped, it can be miserable. And sometimes people feel like they need to just turn that off. But you and I are... Certainly advocates for don't turn it off. Recognize it for what it is. Follow that little flickering glimmer of light that you've got and turn it into something. Now, you actually went to the prison and spent time there to really get the sense of what it's like to be in a literal prison. Wrote from that perspective. Wrote your book, Day Job to Dream Job. And I know we need to get to this part because people have questions about this. You know, how did, what did you do with the book? What did you do? Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. As, as authors, fellow authors, Kerry, we know that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. And that's what I was told when I got into this space. But instead of being discouraged by that, I thought, geez, how difficult can it be to put yourself into the 5%? All I have to do is look at what, <laughs> look at what those other authors are doing and do things they aren't willing to do. Well, you're a, you're a blazing example of that. So walk us through some of the process when you wrote Day Job to Dream Job, what you did to make that a unique experience rather than just another 240 pages sitting on a shelf.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a couple things, Mm -hmm. Dan, and maybe the first point people can jot down is the fact that you need a platform. And most of us hear that and we say, well, yeah, that's nice to say and, and. I don't have a platform like Dan Miller or Michael Hyatt or Dave Ramsey or something. And, hey, neither do I. So you have three options. You can buy a platform, which is very expensive, and it's actually called interruption marketing, where <laughs> as, we, as we watch YouTube and an ad comes on, what do we do? We skip the ad so we can get to whatever video we want to watch. That's called interruption marketing, and it's not effective. The other thing you can do is build a platform. So you have buy a platform, build a platform. Building your platform is very good. It's it's useful, it's wise, and it takes a long time. The other thing you can do is borrow a platform. And tonight, Dan, I'm borrowing your platform. You're kind enough to let me do that i've uh i've interviewed joanne and you on on my uh my tribe and and let you borrow my platform the thing is that when you add value to other people and when you have something to say that really is significant other people want to share their platform see we need to realize this it's not that people are guarding it and saying nobody can ever speak on in fact a lot of people say, I'd love to have good, valuable content for my tribe that's going to solve their problems. I just can't find it. I can't sift through it. And so what what I did, Dan, is I differentiate myself. And it takes a little bit of creativity. It takes a little bit of effort, but... What I realized is nobody knows who Carrie Oberbrunner is compared to Shawshank Redemption. People know Shawshank Redemption. So what am I going to do? I mean, I'm just going to be creative here and, and fully transparent. I knew that the 20th anniversary for Shawshank Redemption was coming up this past August. And although I didn't know it at the time when I first started writing the book, I realized that, hey, I live 90 minutes from... Mansfield, where where the movie was filmed, and so what I did is I got very focused, and this is what you need to you need to you need to shut down a lot of the uh, other things you're doing, uh, you know, unsubscribe to all the um, store emails that flood your inbox every day, and only keep the good stuff like forty eight days and other things. But I got really focused, and what I did is I began to add value to the. Mansfield Tourism. And I said, hey, you guys got this anniversary coming. How can I be helpful? So for your listeners, I would say this. What other big events are happening around the topic of their book? This might be an artist fair. This might be a parenting initiative. Maybe it's about homeschooling. Whatever it's about, Get on the larger conversation. Realize that people don't find your book helpful if it's just promoting a book. What larger issue are you solving? And so, Dan, believe it or not, my book, links to my book, got featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, Entrepreneur on Fire, all kinds of podcasts, Michael Hyatt's blog, all because I got part of a larger conversation that was a big issue, which is people stuck in their day jobs, and then the Shawshank 20th anniversary. And I know you and Joanne came, but I was even able to be part of the main speaking. And we were, um, I'll never forget that weekend when I was sitting next to the warden, Bob Gunson. <laughs> And here I am, and he's holding my book, and um, I'm sitting next to him during the showing of the 20th anniversary. It was surreal.
1: Oh, that was such a memorable (laughs) once-in-a-lifetime experience to be there. The, The Reformatory itself is very imposing. I mean, we heard some of the history. It was built specifically so that it would make any man feel dwarfed. It's that immense, and you walk into it, you feel like an ant walking into it. But being there really gives you a sense of what it would feel like to be in a prison. And we heard a lot of the stories there, but you so beautifully intertwined the introduction of the book. During the course of that event, there was a reception. Let's see, well, I'm getting my dates right here. The reception would have been Saturday night, is that correct? Yep. Where there were lots of people. There, lots of, and you were set up with a table with your books and lots of publicity for you. A lot of people just Shawshank Redemption fans who now had a way to tie in the message in the new book that you've got, Day Job to Dream Job. And then Sunday morning, Sunday morning was so special, where you conducted a Sunday morning service in the prison and tied together, using video, tied together the messages in the movie and how it ties in with the life message for all of us. I mean, you, you may not be called a pastor, but you are so comfortable bringing home those points to those of us in the audience. That was just a special experience. And you were well, kind enough to invite us up there, and, and we really thoroughly enjoyed that entire experience. It was so so far beyond a normal book release that it, it just will stand out for all time.
0: Well, thank you, Dan. And uh, it was a blast to get to know Joanne. And for your audience, I would say this, Dan, um, how do you turn your book into a six figure business? Cause I know you have really helpful people, really wonderful people as your community. You need to tie your book to products and services. Look, Unless you're really going to sell, you know, thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of books, that's a small price point. If you want to get your income up, you need to get your influence and impact up. And the way that you do that is to work with people in different ways outside of the book itself. And so I teach this in one of my programs called Author Academy Elite. And I know that you have some links in the show notes for that. But Dan, what what we do is we teach people, even in the writing process. I mean, I literally write books now thinking, how is this going to sound on a stage with a keynote? And what illustrations am I going to weave in? And then I also write with the specific point in mind of how is this going to feel and sound within a coaching program. And yes, it's the obvious things like putting back ads in the back of your book, but it's writing toward that point. I got a few negative reviews on Amazon. I think, I don't know, I think I got 70 positive reviews and maybe two negative. It's funny the two negative that I got, I love it. I actually found them as compliments, Dan, because here's what they said. (laughs) They said, Carrie wrote this book leading us toward future experiences with him. And I said, (laughs) bingo. Bingo. It worked. You know? Uh, In other words, of course. Um, Now, if every word is selling people, then yes, that gets Bad taste in people's mouth, but if people can see a clear path that if they like the content, if it's helping them, and if they want to take the next step and engage with you through online coaching consulting retreats tele- teleconferences webinars, then amen it worked. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, does it ever? I mean, I, I, I did a blog for Michael Hyatt last year, and I titled it, Forget the Royalties, Just Give My Book Away. Well, authors just went <laughs> so Like, What are you talking about? You know, we need our royalties. That's how we make our living. I said, if that's how you make your living, you're missing the point. To me, a book Ooh, is good. simply a fancy business card. I wanted to introduce people to the things that I'm doing where I really make money. Now, we've got some questions here we, we need to switch to because we've got the oh, yeah. people Go for it. Who write poetry and fiction and it's a little more challenging there granted i'll, I'll agree with that um, let me open up some questions here excellent uh, mickey says i just wrote a book for a niche audience for-profit leaders and grant writers interested in writing for them professional organization that i belong to has helped market it by selling it at our recent national conference and i'll be writing a blog post for another well-known grant writer to promote it what else can I do to promote the book? What other avenues can I take? Now, what Mickey has is a very niche audience, people who are interested in writing grants. How can yeah. you leverage that into creating income?
0: Excellent. I'm going to get the name of one of my clients and just straight up uh, help you with this. So one of my clients is um, named Laura Waller-Miller and it's on Amazon. It's called Unleashed Abundance, Unleashed Abundance, the Fundraiser's Manifesto. Laura is on staff at the Ohio State University, which, Dan, <laughs> you're a graduate of, aren't you?
1: Yes, indeed. The yeah. Ohio State University. They don't want to be called <laughs> Ohio State University. Okay.
0: Exactly. 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 So, Laura Waller Miller, one of my clients, what she did is she took this little ebook. I mean, we're talking, you know, Kindle ebook for free. And she turned this into an entirely uh amazing business model where now it's moved into coaching. Now it's moved into um a website where people can hire her per hour. But Read the question one more time because I get it. It's grant writing. I understand it, but I want to make sure I answer it perfectly. Can you read now,
1: just Mickey said says, I just wrote, a book, just wrote a book for a niche audience, for-profit leaders and grant writers interested in writing for them. Uh, the professional organization is helping to sell it. She'll so be writing a blog post for another well-known grant writer to promote it. Just wondering what else she can do to promote the book on okay. grant writing.
0: Got it. Here you go. So I often tell people, go on Facebook or LinkedIn, join the niche groups because there are plenty of niche groups. In fact, I'm on Facebook now and you can easily type in grant writers and these type of things, but especially with LinkedIn and I see them already, grant writers, you know, there's a whole list of them, this type of thing. What you do is you add groups. You go to the places where the people are, and you don't just say, hey, buy my book, because that's spam and people don't like that. Just like any relationship, you begin to add value slowly. But, Dan, then then you do this. You create a free value add call. I have plenty of examples of these. If anybody wants them, um, go to carryoverrunner.com, and uh, there's a free Igniting Souls assessment there. But what I'll do, Dan, is I will share practical examples. I do this all the time. This is how we really built the business. We we create event bright events where we blast it out, and we pick a topic that is a a, a pain point. So she could easily say, Three tips in grant writing or something that that's that's very uh, it, it, it puts it out there in a very clear way. She adds value on the call, fifty minutes of value. she goes through essentially the guts of her book, then she says at the end, If you like what you heard tonight, um, then she has a few options. She can talk about the book, which is fine, but I would talk even more if she wants more income. About a four week process that she has that uses her book as the curriculum, but then it's a four week call that she teaches through the content. She could easily do this for 97, 197, and the book and make it scalable because now she has 20, 30 people on the phone call. This is so possible. And again, no one's going to jump if they don't know who she is. But if that 50 minutes is her best content, they'll begin to know, like, and trust her.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And if you have 30 people in a 197 workshop, it takes a whole lot of books to equal that kind of income. (laughs) That is so true. Oh, I love how you're framing this. Now, we got another one here, and you're going to end up pretty much the same place. Bruce asked, I became unemployed on November 10th. The former workplace was very much a prison, my personal Shawshank. A book most assuredly is inside of me and God has placed in my heart and mind the topic area. I read your book, Day Job to Dream Job. I believe the message I have to write will affect many to release them from their prisons. What is one quick way I can get the message out? Derive both impact and financial
0: reward. Excellent. So, Yeah, I have a robust program called Author Academy Elite. And Bruce, if he's unemployed, that's probably not the right choice. So instead, um, I'll give your audience uh, a free download. But what this is, Dan, Kindle allows us to publish free. Um, Kindle Direct Publishing. So uh, Bruce, for absolutely no money down, he can – start an author central page, which is great because it allows his Twitter to be in there. it allows his um events to be in there. it allows his blog to be in there if he has one. but he creates an author central page and Dan right now Amazon is the third largest search engine in the world behind Google and YouTube, but it's the one that's tied to a store and so if Bruce titles his book the right way. With a hook that's clear and then a benefit in the subtitle, he can be essentially found in the search engines. Kindle has some free tools, which it sounds counterintuitive. It's called KDP Select, Kindle Direct Publishing Select. It's where Bruce would actually give away his book free for five days. And you might say, why in the world would you give an ebook away for five days? because what Bruce would do is he would put in the back of the book coaching links and hey if you like this watch the free video series by entering your email on this page an electronic ebook goes back with a link to his website people put in their email they get his free video series and again you're building the relationship so that they begin to invest in his coaching
1: all right Great. I want to catch some other questions here. And with that one, uh, Bruce, I'm going to have to add my own two cents as a coach. You became unemployed on November 10th, and now you're talking about writing a book to get the message out quickly and make money quickly. Don't put yourself in that position. If you don't have a job, don't think that writing a book is going to pay the mortgage next month. You, You put yourself in an unrealistic position. If you're really out of work, get another job. And then look at the next year to develop your book, build your audience, and all the things that Carrie is talking about. Now, um, okay, Andrea says, I feel an urgency to write young adult Christian fiction in a manner that veers away from the traditional historical genre or the sci-fi fantasy genre. My questions are how to market a book for which there seems to be little pre-existing genre Number two, how to successfully market to tweens and young teens
0: that wants to awesome. write
1: young adult Christian fiction
0: yeah, so the fact that there is such a small niche is beautiful one of our one of my friends, Tim Grawl has an eight uh, uh client who writes Amish fiction, <laughs> which is pretty small um niche and here's the point um. I think it's Amish-like sci-fi fiction, which is even crazier. Get, get, get get—is that crazy? Get us, and he's doing great, by the way. Um, Andrea needs to get a small focus group of tweens. You know, don't expect that you know what's going to appeal to these people. Ask them, and it's free. They'll love to be heard. They'll love to share their opinions. So I don't buy the fact that something has a small niche. In fact, I think that's great. I think that that shows that it's untapped. There was a guy a few years ago, um, I think his name is Matazahu, who was like reggae, orthodox Jewish music. And it went bananas. I mean, it went over the top. It was amazing because it was just so niche. People want that, and so I I think she actually has an advantage, but I would get a small group, focus group of tweens to ask for their opinions.
1: Yeah, great advice. Tom says, I'm currently finishing a book of poems on CreateSpace. I have a number of other book ideas. How would you suggest that I can turn the books into a six-figure income?
0: Yeah, so I love what Chris Guillebeau says, $100 Startup. Have you, are you familiar with that book or you've heard about it? He, yes, absolutely. Did, um, yeah, absolutely. World Domination Summit. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, the art of
0: yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very smart guy. And that was another book that helped me on my journey. And what Chris says is that oftentimes when we first start out with our dream job, we rarely get paid. For the dream job itself, but for helping other people in that sphere. For instance, if you love skiing, you rarely get paid as a professional skier. Instead, what you'll get paid for is ski instructing, or ski shop, or ski lessons on YouTube. In other words, Move closer to the topic first, get good, then you can maybe make it your full-time profession. So if he publishes a book on poetry, perhaps where he might find his six-figure business is in helping other authors who want to get published in their poetry. You see what I'm saying? Then he uses his book as an example, which does sell books as well. But don't focus on just turning your book, his book, into a six-figure business like me. Um, I didn't say, hey, I'm going to sell so many day job to dream job books that it's going to turn into $100,000. Instead, what I did, Dan, is I created Dream Job Boot Camp. And I have an online version and an on-site version where we go to Shawshank Prison. And we go to Spark Space the second day, and that has turned it into a six-figure business. I use the book as the curriculum, but I'm helping people solve a problem in their lives, which is how to go from day job to dream job.
1: You know, I have a um, quotation somewhere. I don't have it right in front of me. from Jay Conrad Levinson, who wrote Guerrilla Marketing, where somebody, yes. asked, him, oh, asked, somebody asked him how much he made on that you know, got how much he got from that first book in Grill marketing? He said thirty-five million dollars. They said, "Oh my gosh!" And how'd you do that as new? He said, "No, he got like a two thousand dollar advance on the book, but what it led to by him doing exactly what you're talking about—having you know membership sites and ongoing yeah. seminars and workshops and speaking opportunities—you know—that's where the thirty-five million dollars came from." over a period of time. Incidentally, our friend Chris Villalbao, who wrote you know, The Art of Nonconformity, The $100 Startup, his brand new book is just really stellar. It's The yeah. Happiness of Pursuit. I mean, what, yeah. a, what a great... that That's part of what we're talking about here, too, is coming up with a title that is a hook. I mean, we, we heard about The Pursuit of Happiness forever. There's movies made on that, and he titled his book The Happiness of Pursuit, The Thrill of chasing something meaningful, but it's a great book as well. Well, Mary Catherine asks, uh, well, she says, Carrie, thanks for speaking tonight. What action steps should be the top priorities for folks that are building a business on a part-time basis on writing fiction, if that makes a difference in your answer? So
0: she's building yeah. a
1: business, writing fiction, part-time. What should be the top priorities for moving
0: ahead? Excellent. That's a tough question because – I don't think it's one answer for everyone. I think that what I would want to know more about with her is what is the topic of her fiction? Does she see herself as a speaker? For instance, if she saw herself as a speaker, which is is very popular, and Dan, you and I both know that you can get an honorarium for your speaking, and that's worth hundreds of books, sometimes thousands of books that, that... the income is is worth. So, does she see herself as a speaker? One of the things I do, Dan, very early on in my coaching, is I ask people to do a value proposition statement. This would be so mm-hmm. helpful for her and for your listeners. You're familiar with it. Many people have used it before, but it's this little formula. I her name is Jeannie.
1: No, this is okay. Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine. Mary
0: Catherine. Mary Catherine. Jeannie was before or something. So Mary Catherine, what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to write, I am blank. So I am blank. Who helps blank do or understand blank? So that blank. I'll say it again. I am blank. So I am an author or I am a coach or something like that. Who helps blank do or understand blank? So that blank. This is what I call the drive through drill. When somebody drives up to your quote window at a restaurant, they're asking this question. You know, they're saying, Hey, I'd love to work with you. My friend said you're great. What do you serve? And if you're not clear on what you serve in your business, they'll drive away. If you pull up to a restaurant and they don't know what they serve, you're not staying there. Too many coaches, too many speakers, too many people that start off in the business, they're not clear. Confusion repels, clarity attracts. And so Dan, I want to encourage her to go through this VPS drill, value proposition statement drill, and as a result, she'll be able to have that clarity that will then attract people.
1: All right. I'm I'm here. I was just writing that down. <laughs> I didn't have yeah. that. Confusion repels, clarity attracts. I'm busy making notes here, just hearing you talk, and I, I know your material well. We've spent time together, but I love those little things that just, you know, add to my own learning. Hey, we got got um, maybe one more question here or so, uh, and then we want to give you a chance to tell us how we can connect with you, and we'll circle around here. Debbie says, Dan always tells a story where he sold his first book in a three-ring binder and sold hundreds of thousands of copies. What are the best tools to reach those high numbers? Is there a great place to put advertising dollars if if the dollars yeah. are few? Thank you for answering. Well, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll add – I'll tell how I sold a lot of copies, what I did. Not. Go for it. I, have, I have never spent money on advertising. I know that that's not for everybody, but what I did was I was so clear about creating relationships much like you're talking about where you share the platform with other people, that's really all I've ever done. And I've done that in ways where I don't spend money on advertising. I've never purchased a billboard or an ad in a telephone book or anything like that at all because I just started creating content, giving, 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 and people brought in their own, you know, their their friends. I started a newsletter. In August of 2000, I sent it out to the 68 people whose email addresses I had. I said, if you like this, share it. If you don't, let me know. And we'll take you off the list. And we've had over 130,000 people have signed up for that little weekly tidbit on career things. But now here's the way, I'll tell you real clearly, one of the big pieces, just one, but you'll, my audience will understand this. When I started selling that three-ring binder of 48 Days to the Work You Love, it was back <laughs> when Dave Ramsey was just starting his radio show. He was wanting to build an audience. He was wanting to give good value. And he kept saying, gee, you need to create more income. You need to get my buddy Dan Miller's book on 48 Days to the Work You Love. That's how that started. What we did, we had a handshake agreement. Dave has never looked at my books. He's never demanded to see my records. But if somebody called on the phone and we'd ask him, how did you hear about us? Oh, I heard you on Dave Ramsey. We would pay him, we were charging $39 for that the three-ring binder version of 48 days. We would pay him $25 of that. It got to where I was paying Dave 17 dollars $18,000 a month based on that little agreement that we had. He was building wow. his audience and we were driving sales to my product like crazy. I'll never be able to adequately measure the impact of that in exploding my audience, that one trusted relationship. Dave and I were friends before we were figuring out what we were going to do when we grew up and put our big boy panties on. When we were both going through a lot of pain, we became friends. Uh, we just had, had dinner together Sunday night, but, and we were reliving the fact that we met 25 years ago, and what an amazing journey it's been. That's just one example. That wasn't the only thing by far, but there was a very clear, big piece in building my audience quickly. And, Carrie, you talked about that so clearly tonight. Connect with other people. Nobody is a success alone. You link arms with other people who are on the same path, and it's amazing what we can do together.
0: Mm. You know, and Dan, I know you like little mantras, little statements. I have this one that I say all the time, and it's show up filled up. Show up filled up. In other words, if you're in the presence of someone that you want to partner with, you never show up needy. And I know that's counterintuitive. You think, well, gee, I'm in front of my mentor. I'm in front of someone who I really want to impress. Of course I'm supposed to pick their brain. Of course I'm supposed to ask them questions. Go to that person and be valuable to them. Show up filled up because I'll tell you what, nobody wants to partner with someone who's needy. Isn't this true?
1: Oh, my.
0: (laughs) Right? And so what did I do with you, Dan? I I purposely tried to add value to you, and trust me, you have added so much value to my life. In my private moments, I'm devouring your content. I, I have your 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 CDs your 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 materials but when i was in your presence or via online i just said how am i going to add value to this guy and i think god connected us through a crazy exciting way where joanne's from uh you know her dad was was part of the shawshank history and at some level and i just thank god for that every day but at the end of the day show up filled up and really the world will begin to uh open up
1: that is such a great point. Um, I have a mastermind. Um, and the criteria for being in there, the big piece is a person has to have just as much ability to contribute as they do need to receive. And we have people who are knocking on the door, you know, for that. And I had a hard conversation with the lady just last week about that because she was not in a position – to contribute she had a great need to receive and i said that just doesn't work it just doesn't work in this in a mastermind we want people who have immense ability to contribute to each other sure we're all going to benefit but People come and they show up filled up. That's a great line. Well, Carrie, we've, we've mentioned a couple times here. We'll certainly have some links in the notes. I want to make sure that people get access to your amazing trailers and the videos that you've created to promote, like Day Job to Dream Job, The other and how they can find out about some of the other things that you offer as well. And yeah. certainly they can go right to com but uh, any parting words you want to give our audience before we wrap it up for tonight?
0: Sure. If they go to carryoverrunner.com, they will be able to take a free confidential 30-question survey that will be able to help them really identify which they struggle with the most, identity, purpose, or context, and it gives them a customized score, which is really cool. The other thing is, Dan, that 80... it's about 82 percent of people feel like they're supposed to write a book and yet 99 percent of people never do because they think it's too tough i purposely took 2014 the second half and devoted my time and effort to help others with author academy elite and so i encourage anybody if they want to check it out there's free videos there that they can learn more about it but Dan thanks so much for I tell I tell my audience my tribe that you're like the grandfather of this topic. I'm just the new kid and and really this is just a small little stream. This is your whole opus. This is your legacy. And so Dan thanks for really paving the way for all of us younger people that that are just finding our way in this topic.
1: And well, it's been a thrill for me. I nothing is more affirming to me than see like people like you, you know, come on the scene, offering quality, value where I, that I can recommend wholeheartedly. And believe me, there's no scarcity out there for all of us. There's mm-hmm. abundance for all of us. You, you've already mentioned. Well, Kerry, thanks for spending your time with us here in this. Um, message to the 48 Days community. Thanks for your involvement in the 48 Days community. And uh, again, we thank all of our listeners tonight for uh, being here and spending your time with us. Hope that it's been encouraging and enlightening to you as you find your own path toward that freedom that we've been talking about tonight. Thanks for being here, everybody.
0: Awesome. Thank you.